Uh, but right now, we're going to continue. You know what? Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we need your discernment and wisdom. We need the author's intent to these words. Why are they here and why are they eternal? What do they mean for us? How do we understand them? How do we apply them? How do we live them out? How do we help others to find pleasure in them as they live them out and understand them as well? So thank you, God, for your good holy word. Might we embody it more and more each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're, we're, we're going to be in several passages of scriptures. We will be in the gospel, so I'll just prep you with the first one, Matthew 21, if you just want to start finding your way there um, to get there. Uh, it's going to be real Bible knowledge here in a little bit because we're going to be jumping through some verses uh, quite quickly over this Palm Sunday. But um, one of the things for us to certainly understand is the expectations of what we want is not always what we need the most, right? Um, the expectations of what we want is not always what we need the most. I, I don't think you have to look any further than kids to understand that or any further than your yearnings and desires for something to see that. How one year you're all about this thing, then the next year you're all about that. And that's why there are trends and things that flow through culture. But we often want things or expect things that aren't the best for us or, or it's not even so much that they're bad. We just don't need them now, right? I mean, I say that to my kids a lot. It's like, look, uh, no, you can't drive the car. You're six. But it's not no forever, it's just not now, right? Eventually, you will be. Um, but until that time comes and until you're ready, you need to know that there's something you need more than that, which is to sit in the back with your seatbelt on quietly, right? So we, we all have these um, expectations to take place, and certainly Palm Sunday um, is one of those things that embodies that understanding for us. And here's something that we all need. The one thing is something that we all need. Jesus Christ is the king that we all need. And not just we all Christians, right? Like all y'all Christians. But everybody needs Jesus Christ. Everybody needs him to be their king, to be their, their Lord and Savior. You will never meet a person on the planet that God created that this is not true for. That we all need Jesus. So that means everyone you run into, everybody you get upset with, everybody that you love, everybody that you embrace, everybody that you push away, everybody that you cold shoulder, everybody that you invite over, they all need Jesus Christ as their king. They all need that. And there are ways in which that happens to take place, and there are all kinds of myths and misunderstandings. We even see that in the text as it begins to flow out. But we have to know that, that he alone has the words of eternal life, the scripture tells us. Only in Jesus Christ and his name can we find salvation and forgiveness for sins. Only in Christ can we find provision and protection, fulfillment for our created purpose. Only true joy can be found by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and living for Him. He redeems. He makes whole. He turns trash into treasure and makes good ways for all of those things. So, so Christ is so incredibly important. He's the King. And, and you can read in all the Old Testament, right? They've been waiting for thousands of years for Jesus Christ to come. Thousands of years. And now He arrives and we we've lived with christ as the risen savior for what thousands of years jesus has been risen thousands of years he's gone so let me give a little context to this when you talk about we all need jesus king glad submission glad submission to jesus is a great start and strengthener of that relationship let me tell you what i mean by this when it comes to jesus king um glad submission is a great start for those who don't love jesus as lord and savior who aren't saved. That's why I would say it's a great start. And it's a strengthener of that relationship for those of us who are already Christians. 
that we would gladly submit to him and gladly follow his, his leading and his rule. And we, we know what happens in the, in the joy that could come and the hardship, right? Uh, what do we say around here? Um, it's not always easy, but it is always better to serve the Lord. It, it, heaven is what? When you die, <laughs> right? That's a pretty big divide. Now, we get glimpses of that and taste of that and floodgates from heaven and all of those things that we sing of. But when it talks about this, glad submission to Jesus Christ is a great start for a relationship. In fact, it's where it is. You're saved by grace through faith. Then after that, as a Christian, it's the strengthener. And they're, and they're almost in this world and culture that we live in, glad submission is an oxymoronic term, right? Because in this day and age, submission, no one's glad about that. No one's glad about being subservient. Even if I have a job, I want to be able to do it my way in the way that I think is good, right? Even if I have a, I'm in a relationship, I want to do it my way in the way that I think. Or even if I live in a neighborhood, right? Everybody's lawn should be the way my lawn is. Everybody's lawn should be that way. So, so we see that that takes place. But, but what we find in Scripture that the real joy comes from glad submission to Christ. And you can't fake glad submission. You can't. You can fake submission, right? If you've ever been made to apologize to anyone when you were younger, you fake submission. Say you're sorry or die. Okay, I'm sorry. You're an idiot. That didn't count. You know what it is to fake submission, but you can't fake glad submission. It's impossible. People will automatically know that you're not true and you're not just in that, and you're not being right in it. So Jesus Christ is the king that we all need. Glad submission to Jesus is a great start, whether it's through salvation or as a, a disciple, as a strengthener. So here's what I want to do this morning. There, there are, all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, rec- record the account of what's called the triumphal entry of Jesus, right, where he enters in. What we celebrate traditionally is Palm Sunday. So I want to look at specific passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to be able to find these, to talk about the things that were said of Jesus so that we can understand as he came in. Right? It's the, it's the only time that Jesus publicly allowed such a massive um, display publicly of, of who he was that he didn't quiet them, right? Or that he didn't disappear off to lonely places. I mean, this is, this is setting his, his passion in full effect. So what I want to do is read through these four scriptures and then talk about them so that we can best understand, well, if Jesus is a king that we all need, why? Like, why is that? Who is he? And what about that takes place? Now, remember, uh, let me contextualize this. It's, it's, it's always better if you can put yourself into the sandals of what's going on in the Bible, right? If you can feel the sand between your toes of the road that Jesus walked. If you can feel the, the, the spinal cord of the, of the donkey that he sets on or the massive amount of people that were crowding the thousands in front of him and the thousands behind him as he enters in right so he's entering into jerusalem coming out of bethany and beth page so what happened lazarus you're not dead anymore and lazarus comes out what even his sisters were like don't climb out dude's gonna stink so bad he's been in there four days you know when lazarus heard that story he had to feel some kind of way about it like jesus is gonna resurrect me and you're worried about how i smell when i come out I'm going to talk, sisters, in private, and you're not going to like it. So he's doing all of these miracles, and this is going all over the place. And it's spreading, and it's going, and he's doing these miracles. These blind guys are being able to see the lame are being able to walk, and he's been doing this for three, three years. And it's all out there, and he starts coming out, and he starts making his way, and it builds up. And, and there's more details how he just sort of, in his 
omniscience gets this donkey, this colt, and, and pulls it in, and they put the, the disciples put their coats on the donkeys, and then, then there's these palms that take place, and, and these people just start shouting, screaming, like, you think you've seen a parade. You've not like this. All the disciples before him. It even says all of the people that witnessed Lazarus being raised were in that group, and they were just shouting and praising and proclaiming. It's just this massive amount of people as he comes down the mountain of Bethany and works his way up, and, and starts to head into Jerusalem. And it's just reaching a, a fevered pitch. Like, have you ever been at, like, a sporting event, a live sporting event, and you're like, I'm cheering, and I don't even know why. We're just so loud and happy, and it's incredible. I mean, there's nothing like it. And Jesus is entering in and fulfilling these prophecies, and, and he's heading towards the cross and eventually the empty tomb and the resurrection. So we're going to look at Matthew 21, uh, verses 9 and 11. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 11. And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Mark 11 Verses 9 through 10. And those who went before him and those who followed behind him were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 10 of Mark 11. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So thousands and thousands and thousands of people. People are coming out of their house. They're like, what's going on? Luke 19.38, the triumphal entry, they talk about this. These same people before and behind saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 12.13, vandalism, vandalism, vandalism takes place. They start ripping off branches from palm trees to come out and meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, there was an edict that went out that's putting it nicely. Let's say an old Western wanted poster that was circulating throughout Jerusalem that said, if anybody knows the whereabouts of Jesus, please let us know. So it got back to Caiaphas. And they're like, if you see him anywhere, if he's in some little room, tell us what's not happening in this moment. They are not turning Jesus in yet, but they are simply proclaiming who he is super loud. So much so that scripture goes on and tells us that the Pharisees gather around. They get after Jesus. Tell them to be quiet. Shut up your disciples. Then we get that famous saying, if they don't cry out, the rocks will. And sometimes you're like, oh, I wish that, that would have been cool. Like I wish mouths on rocks. They didn't, which is good for us, but they didn't. So you've got this just massive thing, and he's coming in. They're ripping off palm branches. They're throwing their cloaks down. And I want to look at some things that, that show up in all four of these. Remember, they are shouting these praises before everyone to hear, and they're punctuating that, their exclamation point, with palm branches and the cloaks off their back. They're thrown down. We'll talk about that in a second. So here's some things that took place. First of all, we see the word blessed in all four of these accounts. Right? So um, blessed is the name. Blessed is the one. It's just blessed. It's in every single verse. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all say blessed, which means praise, right? So they're praise, praise Jesus, praise him for who he is. And they're just out there knowing that the religious ruling class hates him. They want to murder him. They've been plotting to kill him for a while, yet still they what? Praise him. Still they praise him. 
Because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. It moves on and there's in all four accounts there's references to the king or kingdom reference. Which is basically they're like, this guy's the sovereign. He has the right to reign over, over this entire realm. And many of them are like, watch out Rome, here comes Jesus. That's in their hearts really what they're thinking. But God's like, look, here's the truth. I'm sending my son and he's about to conquer sin and death, amen? He's about to put an end to all this stuff that really what you need. So you see their expectation. Here comes the king. Get rid of the Romans, finally. And God's like, no, he's going to do something better. What you really need, he's going to conquer sin and death. He's going to conquer sin and death. Then they say that comes in the name of the Lord, which is, <laughs> oh man, I don't, like, I don't know if you could be more truthful and more insulting to those who were ruling in Jerusalem than to say that phrase. Because basically you're saying, here comes a supreme authority, Caiaphas, Sorry, Caesar. Here comes the one that comes in the name of G-O-D, God. So he's the one in which we're worshiping. He's done these great things. Lazarus is walking like, I was dead. This dude's like, I couldn't see nothing. I couldn't walk. I used to be covered in leprosy. And all these people have gathered around, and they're all working, and they're all moving, and they're all going in their town, Jerusalem, moving and sharing and, and proclaiming these things. Telling them. They even say this phrase, Hosanna in the highest, which you know Hosanna means, oh, save now, supreme God in heaven. So they're sending up this shout prayer to say, God, save us now. And he's like, I am, but not in the way that you think. It is always better the way God solves stuff than the way that we do, right? They're like, save now, send Jesus out to start conquering and raising up armies, to start killing Roman soldiers and to start taking all of those and, and to just bring the kingdom. And he is going to come back like that when his second arrival. But in this one, he's conquering the greatest enemy that everyone has, which is sin. Which is sin. So they're shouting to save now. They're shouting to come. They're shouting for him to go. To be there, this supreme God in heaven. Now you may run into people who think they don't need Jesus and need his salvation. But as a Christian, we know differently. We know differently. We see even here as those draws and temptations for Jesus to be this great military leader to take over as they're shouting and the, and the popularities of fever pitch. He's, he's Christ is, is laser focused. He's not wavered. He's not going to be shaken. He's like, I am here to, to conquer this, to defeat sin. So when we meet people and we run into them this season or really any season, what they need is salvation. The forgiveness of the King of Kings, the Messiah, Jesus, he knows better. He provides, and it's by grace through faith. So in all of this, this shouting and this crying out of his hand in the name of the Lord, and he's the King of Israel, we see this important component that comes to praising Jesus as King. First of all, salvation is incredibly important. Most of those that are around Jesus were his disciples. We know they all scatter not long from now in the timeline of the Bible. But we also know the specific sayings from the heart um, that fulfill God's will is an important part to praising Jesus the King. That you would go out fueled by your heart and your love for God and that you would praise him through faithful deeds. That your, in effect, actions would speak loud and hold up the words in what you say of Christ. And that you wouldn't be a confusing Christian, a, a dichotomy of hypocrisy as you, you try to live, which we see in these people, right? This is the same crowd, not alarming now, they're going to be shouting, crucify him. We know that. But Christ's still focused. He's like, look, 
still coming because there's just something greater to bring into their lives and, and something greater to, to put forward in each of this. So important components to praising God is your heart seeks to fulfill his will and his salvation. Now I want to talk about some of these specifics about Jesus that come out of each of these verses because they, they really fuel and empower and embolden us to remember um, why we worship and serve Christ, which I think is always good to remember. We can forget things. Things can, quote, unquote, leak out of the bucket of our brains. Our hearts can become so familiar with something that it breeds complacency, not passion. Like, you ever just done something so much, you're just like, I used to love this, now I don't. That's what familiarity can do. It can move you into complacency or compassion. So when, when we talk about Matthew 21, 11, it says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. So what does it mean? He's the one that brings the word of God. He's the one that knows what's right. Do you want to know how to fix anything? Do you want to know what, what the good, right, and perfect will is in our lives? It's the word of God. It is what he has to say on that issue. So you can do country. What about for our country? How does that ship get righted? I'm not trying to trigger anybody. I'm just trying to say, how does that happen? We go to the word of God. We hear what he has to say. What about your neighborhood or even your home? your bedrooms and living rooms? How does all of that find itself in the center to where you find yourself in every venue shouting Hosanna to the one in the highest? It doesn't want to wait till Cadbury cream eggs and chocolate crosses show up on the shelf before you get pumped about Jesus or before you're willing to talk. He's like, he wants it every day, June 13th, that you might be yelling out Hosanna in the highest and doing that before everyone that's there. Because he's worthy of it. He brings the word of God. That's what Matthew 21 tells. He's a prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. In Mark 11 to 10, it, tell, it talks about the coming kingdom of our Father God, which means he brings the kingdom of God on earth. So you don't have to wait to have all that heaven has to offer. Well, you don't have to wait till all that heaven has offered to die and go to heaven. But, but those things, his riches, his provision, his strength in the valleys, his celebrations on the mountaintops, all of those can be available in accordance with God's will in this moment now. So when it talks about him as a coming kingdom, he's like, look, he brings the kingdom of God on earth in reference to 2 Samuel 7. And where does he put that kingdom? This is crazy where he puts it. Not in some geopolitical position. He puts it in your heart. I mean, I think we'd be okay if he, like, Old Testament that mug. is like, you know what, let's just rebuild this temple, and I'm moving in. But instead, what does he do when he brings the kingdom he promised David? He brings it into your heart to dwell with you. And if it's dirty and got dark corners, if there's closets you keep locked, he's like, doesn't matter. I'll get to that. We'll work on it. But the kingdom shows up in the hearts and minds of men, women, teenagers, and children. That's where he comes to dwell. So when that coming kingdom comes, God's like, look, I'm, I'm living with you, right? That whole never leave you, forsake you, literally taking place in your heart, in your mind, and in your soul. I mean, it's incredible to think that. Where does God live? In the reflection, in the mirror. That's where God lives. And he's like, look, I desire to bring my word to that. In, verse, in Luke 19, 38, when it says peace in heaven and, and glory in the highest, you know, a referencing to, to heaven's response to Jesus entering, all the angels smiling, all God proud and, and, and joyous, just like at Jesus' baptism. This is my son with, with whom I am well pleased. And, and the world getting it for a moment right, that he's worthy to be praised. 
All the other gods pushed to the side. All the Roman gods gone. All the pursuits after anything else other than Jesus. They're not worried about their jobs. They're not even worried about their relationships. They're just worried about their worship with God and what's before them. The people are truly free in a brief moment on Palm Sunday to see what God would have for them every single day. And not just a a pumping up and a highlight of emotions, but a steadfast love that, that drives the peace so that they're in it all the time. Wouldn't you love that going to work on Monday morning? Wouldn't you love that sitting in retirement on Wednesday afternoon? Wouldn't you love that in your relationships, however they are, to know that this is where fulfillment really comes from? So he starts talking about that. He brings salvation, right? Glory in the highest, right? We exist to bring God glory and make disciples. So they're like, praise and credit to God. He's doing this. This is legit. This is real. This is Christ. We give him praise and credit. And though their end goal was something different, Jesus was like, look, this is how I'm working. So if you've ever wondered how Jesus works in your misinterpretation, how God could ever use you in your imperfectness, boom, Luke 19, 38. He still uses them as they're desiring Christ for something else. He uses to accomplish his goal. And that's how infinite and powerful and wise and loving and just he is. That even though many of them wanted his son to be something else, he still makes a way for that. So God can take our blunders and our achievements, our our goals accomplished, and and the things we're still working and growing on, and use them in a way so that others, what? Proclaim Hosanna. Imagine the guy that came out that morning, right? He's got his coffee. I don't know if there was coffee in in first century. Well, there is Hebrews, (laughs) but we don't know if there was actually coffee, right? But think about that guy came out, and he's like, oh, man, Sarah, that's his wife. Well, what's going on? You hear that shout? And then he looks at his palm tree, and he's like, where are all our branches? Where did all of our branches go? Why does no one have coats on? What is happening? What is this trail of things left behind? Might we live so enthused and make such a big deal about Jesus that people see the trail, or for you boaters, the wake behind us and go, something is happening down that way. Let's go and see. And that's what's happening here. In, in, in John 12, 13, they're just like, I don't even care. He's the king of Israel. He's the leader of God's people. He's the sovereign ruler of us all. We should all make such a big deal in obvious ways about Jesus Christ. And this scripture gives us a great example of how we make big deals about Christ. And not just at Christmas and not just at Easter. And I understand that, that there are people who are just Eastmas people, right? They come at Easter and Christmas. That's not okay. That is not okay. You don't want to just show up a couple times a year, and I'm glad you're here, and you're being faithful, and you're doing those. Those other people need to see because they're leaving so much more on the table. So let's talk about the big deal these people are making, right? They're shouting. And wouldn't that be nice in a culture to shout for Jesus and to be, instead of trying to always be shouted down for Jesus? But to get out there and go, no, that's not right. We're not going to teach that. No, Christ is worth more than this. So it talks about them throwing their cloaks down, right? So the disciples do that. And so, so all my equestrian people are like, oh, man, they're just making a super sweet, awesome, like, just pad for the saddle, right? They're building up a, like a comforting my pillow saddle thing for Jesus. That's what they're doing. How thoughtful. Wrong. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing with their cloaks is they're, they're throwing themselves down. Remember, the New Testament tells us this right? Um, No credit cards, amen, existed in the days of Jesus. 
So when you go and you needed collateral to get food for your family because you didn't earn enough that day, you would leave your cloak with that person as collateral. You would leave your cloak, then they would exchange that, and you would be able to get goods or whatever that you needed for that. So that was a huge part of who you are. You would give that to someone in order to gain something else, and then, then they would return it after you'd done in whatever arrangements you'd come to. So when they're throwing their cloaks down in the dirt on the road, they're putting it on the donkey there that's for Jesus that no one's ridden. They're throwing themselves in glad submission before Jesus Christ, right? Man, I'm just so pumped. Boom! Jesus, he's just so real. Bam! The Christ. The Messiah is going to save us. He's going to provide for us, and he's going to make a way. So you've got a city full of people running around with no coats on. It's crazy. But what a great testimony. Where's your coat? I don't know. I think it's like three miles back. I'm never going to find it. You know, the street sweeper's like, what the heck? How and what has happened? But not only that, they're making such a big deal about that, they just start ripping off palm branches, which is where we live. Like, we literally are surrounded by palm branches. We could go out over there, walk over to Miss Karen's house, start ripping off branches from her tree, laying those down. Why? Because we know from Leviticus 23 in the Feast of Booths that this is a symbol of joy. And they're so excited that Jesus is coming and he's finally going to put an end to their suffering that they just start ripping off branches and throwing them down before the donkey. So they've got the palm branches of joy from Leviticus 23. They've got their, their coats, which comes from 1 Kings 16. You guys know Ahab and Jezebel, right? One of the worst kings Israel ever had. And Jezebel, one of the worst women in all of Scripture. The Bible's very clear on that. Well, after they had done so much of their stuff, God says, hey, there's a new king. He's going to be Jehu. So they go over to Jehu's house. They tell him that. He tries to deny it. It was an awesome story. You should really read it. He denies it, and then he's like, no, this is what the Lord wants for you. And he's like, okay, I will receive it because it's God's will. Takes it, and then what do they do? They start throwing their coats down before him in honor. Say, here he comes. We submit ourselves to us. Today it would be guys' wallets. Ooh, this one's get ready for this. You know what it would really be? Smartphones. Yeah. That, now you're getting the weight of the anxiousness. Now you're getting it. Because if I throw my smartphone down there and it pops open and someone sends a text and Jesus sees it, uh-oh, what's going to happen, right? So they're throwing these things before them that are incredibly intimate and incredibly personal because Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah, and they just lay it all down. They're making a big deal about Christ. And we know that not everyone completely abandons him. We have the 11 that don't. Then we get the 120 at Pentecost. So we, we know that they don't all go. But what are some of the ways that we can show glad submission and make big deals about Jesus? Number one, be born again. Why did he come? Not to have another holiday where we crack eggs open and hope there's money inside. He came for the forgiveness of sins, yours and mine. And those sins that we discover later in life that he already died and paid for, and which we come to him humbly before the altar of prayer and say, God, thank you for dying for that sin too. And for the sins I didn't even know were sin, but now I do. So one of the ways that we can make a big deal about that is being born again in glad submission to Christ. And then the other, if you've already done that, is strive to be like Jesus. We talked last week about washing feet. Go back, listen, watch to that message. 
to help you better understand. He's like, you ought to do as I've done. Jesus is so clear about that. When you don't know what to do, do what I do. When you don't know what to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. I mean, he's really giving us just training wheels for life. And he's like, hey, let's do that. So how can you strive like Christ in your faith and deeds and glad submission? I'm so glad you asked. Buckle up. Here we go. We know we exist to bring God glory and make disciples. That's why you're still here. God still wants you to do that. He wants you to Hosanna him at work. He wants you to Hosanna him at worship. He wants you to Hosanna him everywhere to bless and praise and call him what he is everywhere that you go. And be overt to make much or a, better, a big deal about Jesus. It, it, it pleases the Lord, brings a smile to his face when you do that. I love when my kids do that at the park. My kids run into other kids and like, that's my dad and they're happy about it. Cool. When they're like, that's my dad and they're not happy, I point to another dad. And there it is, that guy. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. Right? But man, when my kids do it, I couldn't imagine when all of creation, man, right? Well, I'll tell you, the Bible tells us peace in heaven, glory in the highest, when we worship and praise him and make a big deal and make much of him. And glad submission to the King Jesus is an important aspect. So based on this message, what can we do to become more like Jesus? We've got to gospel center our life in worship. So let's just talk about our worship for a second. Make a big deal about studying the Bible. He's the prophet who brings the word of God. So make a big deal about studying the Bible daily with God and often with others. Make a big deal, right? We, we leave so much celebration that God's instilled into our lives um, that we can rediscover um, by being with him more. And celebration in mourning as also in joy. And I would even say sometimes celebration in mourning is even, even more needed than when things are going super great. So make much of God by studying his Bible much. Study it. Don't just read it. Study it. What does this mean? How does this apply? What is God, what is God trying to tell me through the Holy Spirit? When it comes to community, make a big deal about bringing the kingdom of God in your life. Daily doing biblical deeds fueled by faithfully following Jesus. This is the cloaks and, and the palm branches things we're talking about when you're in community. Because people are going to be asking, why are you climbing in my tree and yanking branches off? And they will say, it's for the king. It's for Jesus. Why do you do these nice things? Why do you not cut corners and do bad stuff at work and in school in the neighborhood? Because you're a good person? Nah, not because I'm a good person. Because of Jesus Christ. Because he's so good and I want to be like him. Why do you love me when I hate you? Because Jesus Christ loves you and wants you to be saved. And I just hit people with it, like a stone between the eyes, right? Come at me like Goliath. Sling, boop. There's the truth. Let him do it. I don't really, like, throw stones at people. I'm just saying, spiritually speaking, I let God do that and pray that sometimes. So, okay, service. Here's a great way to serve people based on this message. Make a big deal about people having peace through the forgiveness of sin, through the forgiveness of sin. If you just do Christian things, you're not at peace with God. That doesn't make God okay with you because you just do stuff. Unless that's born out of salvation, then that's different. Remember, the peace of God flows through relationships that's at peace with Jesus. How do you get at peace with Jesus? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. It's with your heart that you believe under righteousness. It's your mouth that you confess under justification. 
So make a big deal about people being saved. Make a big deal about people being saved and finding that forgiveness for their sins. And then finally, in multiplication, make a big deal about the one true King, Jesus Christ. Encourage others to join us, and when I say us, Christians, even here at Chapel Bay, as we lay down our lives and resources in glad submission to him. We, oh, I know, it, it sounds so tongue-in-cheek, but it really is true. There should be more Palm Sunday in us, if you get what I'm saying, every day. Like every day we should figure that out. What are the branches at your work that, that can be ripped off and laid down before Christ? What's your smartphone or your cloak or your wallet that can be put before him and allow him to go? But what if he steps on it? What if it gets this? What if that happens to it? What if that? He's the sovereign Lord of all. He will provide and he will care for you. He will make a way. And your expectations of what you want isn't always what you need the most. And only he knows that. So you encourage others to join, right? Uh, what, is, what is the great phrase of the Gospels when people are living for Jesus? How, how, how do they encourage others? Come and see. That's all they said. Just come and see. Just come and see the good Lord. So I would encourage you this week and every week, uh, you know what, you don't live a week at a time, you only live one day at a time. This day, come and see. Just in pe- invite people to come and see. Maybe you've got to pull two palm branches off. Maybe you've got to lay down double for someone else who hasn't yet in order that they might see how great and glorious he really is. Now, back to the one thing, one last time. Jesus Christ is the king we all need. And you can choose any other noun you want, power, pleasure, money, position, achievement, lowliness, humbleness, self-deprecation, minimalist, any of those other things are not the king that people need. Jesus Christ is the king that they need. There's no more loving of a savior because there is no other savior. There's no more wise of a savior because there is no other savior than Jesus Christ. And the time is short for us. We don't have much longer on this earth in which to live. So we must make the most of it. And every chance we get And if God calls you home as you're laying down the quote-unquote palm branch one more time for someone else so Jesus can make a way, because you know what happens when you lay down um, cloaks and um, palm branches for others? It made it easier for the animal to get where it's going. So what's the translation there? It makes it easier for Jesus to get where he is. So why don't you just make it more truthful for others to get the Christ and to know the way?